It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Andrew Abbott was a welcome surprise to a beleaguered starting rotation, but just how good can he be? You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily source for all things Cincinnati Reds. I'm Stephen Offenbaker, and he's Jeff Carr, and we love baseball. We love these Cincinnati Reds, and we have taken our love for the game and our love for this baseball team, and we have turned that into information for you. Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On today's podcast, we are going to take a look at Andrew Abbott and discuss his breakout 2023 campaign. With the success he found in his rookie season, we are going to take a look and take some time to discuss whether or not Andrew Abbott is actually the Reds ace of the rotation heading into 2024. Uh, We're also going to check in on a few roster moves that the old Red Legs made where they added three players to the 40-man roster, which now stands at 40 men in order to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. going to be a lot of interesting conversation today, Jeff, but let's start with Andrew Abbott and and take a look at 2023 because when you and I were doing the offseason prior to the 2023 season, we talked a whole lot about Hunter Green and a whole lot about Nick Lodolo and a whole lot about Graham Ashcraft, and there was no conversation about a dude named Andrew Abbott. He seemingly came out of nowhere in the conversation to become probably the Reds' best starting pitcher in 2023. Yes, he did. And before we jump into that, remember today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And yeah, Steve, like he was a guy that, I remember we talked about him in spring training and it was like dark horse, you know, maybe even a little bit of wishful thinking like this dude could be in the rotation this year. He could be somebody that really helps out the reds. And he kind of like had a meteoric rise through the reds farm system. A la Graham Ashcraft, like Graham Ashcraft one year, Andrew Abbott the next year. I mean, Abbott was drafted in the same draft class with Matt McClain in 2021 he was the second round pick it's very rare to see guys move that quickly and and you know coming out of college it makes you know he's a little bit ahead of the game compared to like a high school pick or something like that but the fact that he made it to the major leagues last year was a little bit of oh okay let's see what this guy's got like we're not we, we don't have the hype surrounding him like we had whenever Hunter Green came up or Nick Lodolo came up or really even when Graham Ashcraft came up. It was a lot of, honestly, at the time, necessity that brought Ash or that, that brought uh, Andrew Abbott to the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, it was necessity in that the Reds, you know, had so many injuries and so much going on. But But let's not minimize exactly what Andrew Abbott did to start out the 2023 season in the minor leagues in, in 10 starts in the minor leagues in 2023, he went 54 innings, four and O the 2.5 ERA. So, 
he was he was dealing. So something clicked between the end of the previous season and the 2023 season. So after he wrapped things up in 2022, something clicked for him because he dealt all season long. And for me, I, I am so impressed with what he was, he managed to put together once he got to the big leagues, because not only are we talking about a guy that made the jump to the majors very quickly, but he was basically thrown into a rotation where that was in disarray. He was thrown into a rotation struggling to find its way. And not only did he deliver, but he really was the stabilizing factor. And I don't recall any other time, uh, at least that I've been paying attention to the Cincinnati Reds, that they've had a rookie come up like that into the starting rotation and be a, a stabilizing force, be the guy that was able to, to kind of grab both sides of the rotation around him and hold it together for dear life. He was the Band-Aid. He was the bubble gum. He was the glue. Whatever you want to call him, he was the dude that kept things from falling completely apart. He was Spider-Man holding the train back is what yes, he was doing. That's um, a great example, yes. And, and he th – th there was something about the – the longevity of the run that he had. I mean, remember he had multiple starts immediately upon being called up where he didn't allow a run. And it was just like, wow, is this guy ever going to allow a run? And he continued that forward. Like he had, a, you know, there was that rough start where he gave up a few runs, but then he got right back on the horse and was pitching really well. Because, like, you can think back to some guys who came up and debuted. Like, I even remember whenever Amir Garrett debuted as the starter and before he went to the bullpen, his first couple of starts were impressive, and then he kind of fell off. And then they're like, okay, he's probably better out of the bullpen. Like, nobody really had the long stretch that Andrew Rabbit had to begin his career that he was so effective. And it was almost immediate, like, I mean, I remember many discussions that we had, and we're going to talk about this as we look at him going into next year here in just a few minutes, but there were many discussions that we had. Like, he was pitching, Hunter Green was on the shelf, Nick Lodolo was on the shelf, and so we were kind of thinking, we're like, is, is he the ace? Is he the guy that's going to lead this rotation moving forward? Because he had a four-pitch mix. He had the demeanor on the mound. Like that was one of the things that the stats don't show. Like when you watch Andrew Abbott on the mound, there was never a moment where you're just like, boy, he looks rattled or he looks, you know, like he, he was thrown off by the way that that, that at bat just went or something like that. Every single at bat was a new thing for him. And he has that, the mind of a pitcher that I think we really covet as we look forward to some of the other guys that are coming up through the system. And let's not forget one of my favorite things that took place during his initial run was his dad in the stands with Jim day. Yes. That became my favorite part of every Andrew Abbott start because his dad would just be like, Nope, that's not his best stuff. Nope. He can do better than that. Nope. Wow. He sure did walk a lot of people. Didn't he? I loved it. It was the, it was the best. I, I think moving forward, anytime Andrew Abbott starts a game, they should just put his dad in the booth. I think that would yes. be the way to go. But, but for me, the fact you talked about how long he managed to keep it together. And I know we're going to have a conversation coming up about whether or not he got tired or the league adjusted to him. This league adjusts fast. 
Uh, once there's video, once there's once there's something for hitters to look at and prepare for, they do because they take this stuff seriously. So I'm 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 looking forward to that conversation because I I really I really am interested to see what 2024 has in store for him, uh, having a full season of work under his belt already. Yeah, and I I just think it adds to the mystique, like his dad, like. They stopped doing this this past season, but remember they used to have beat writers come into the radio booth in like the second inning. Um, maybe they just have, you know, Mr. Abbott come into the booth on Andrew Abbott days um, and during the second inning uh, of his starts. But um, that that was a lot of fun. And the, the different post-game pressers that he would give as well, like games where he had, you know, six innings of shutout ball or, or five innings and he had 10 strikeouts or something like that. The first thing that Andrew Abbott would be, man, it's just too many walks, man. I need to stop walking people. Like it was just like, that's what he was focused on. He was always looking at how he can improve. And I think that that more than anything is an impressive demeanor in a rookie, in a guy that, like we said, really kind of came out of nowhere. And the way that he pitched in AAA was so impressive that he, he earned the call-up, and there was the necessity for the call-up, but he was not a guy that we were expecting this much out of this fast, and it was a joy to watch. No, absolutely, and 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 you're right in how, how he communicated, how he carried himself. He was definitely uh, not a rookie with, you know, deer in headlights. He wasn't. We, you know, we talked about this with the the offensive players that we've discussed so far, Spencer Steer and Matt McClain. You know, rookies can come up sometimes and the game looks bigger than them. It makes the player look small. I said this, I think, on yesterday's show. Um, and, and, and I think when you look at this Reds rookie class, all of them, take them collectively, that's the thing. Not one single call-up got to Cincinnati and looked overmatched. Not one single call-up. And I mean the big call-ups. Don't come at me about, you know, like, emergency here for 30 second call-ups you know what i mean the the core group of call-ups none of them hey he got a save leave him alone (laughs) (laughs) you know not one single time did one of the core rookies get called up and you're like oh man they called him up too soon oh uh he's not ready for prime time they all they all looked great. And I think, you know, that's why we keep talking about the fact that Nick Cross should have been ex- executive of the year because every single one of his moves hit and, and, and that never happens. It's the, the odds. I don't know what the odds are. I would love to see the odds that FanDuel would have put on every single one of those core guys, some kind of a parlay, Jeff, where you could put together oh like all of these guys coming up and sticking in the 2023 season. You probably would have won a million dollars million dollars yes it was it was an amazing year and and i think there's lots to be gleaned out of that that we can cover on another episode but i mean as much as he was a surprise for you know as much as andrew abbott was a surprise now he's a mainstay just how important is he to the rotation next year the word ace comes to mind we'll tell you why coming up next before we get into that, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, and that is FanDuel. FanDuel's got an amazing promo offer for you now if you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook. When you create your account, place a $5 money line bet, and if you win, 
you're going to get $150 in bonus bets on top of your winnings. As the NFL season goes along, as NBA gets rolling, as NHL gets rolling, FanDuel is the best place to be because it's America's number one sports book. Uh, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's really no better time to get in on the action. I mean, the app is really easy to use, whether you're looking for, you know, lines on a basketball game, lines on an NFL game. If you're like me and you love the UFC cards, you can find those very easily. It's all very intuitive. And there's so many options, whether you're talking about money lines or uh, point spreads, over-unders on totals and things like that. Or if you get into player props as well, and you can combine player props within a singular game, so a single game parlay, and increase your payout. Single game parlays are one of my favorite ways of enjoying sports watching all year long, whether it be baseball or football or basketball, whatever it be. There's lots of great uh, prop bets you can combine to increase your bet. Plus, uh, FanDuel's got all these great boosts for single game parlays or single game bets to help you win more money because that's why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. Check it out today at FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on the action. Plus, you can check out some pro- some some futures for baseball because uh, World Series odds have been posted and we've been talking about this uh, this week. The Reds are 47 to 1 right now and moves are about to be had so that is only going the the payout on that's only going to get smaller so if you want to get in now get in now 47 to 1 odds for the reds to win the world series that's fanduel.com slash locked on to get in on the action your first five dollar money line winner gets you 150 dollars in bonus bets as well vandal is an official partner of the nfl and the official sports book of the locked on podcast network Thanks, as always, for making Lockdown Reds your first listen every single day. Every day is coming up on the next Lockdown Reds podcast. It's going to be an Aloha Friday. We are back live 2 p.m. on Friday afternoon. We're going to be talking about possible non-tender candidates. Spoiler alert might be Nixon, Zell. Uh, as the non-tender deadline is Friday evening. Also, quick shout out as well. The brand new Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation website, InsideTheReds.com, has debuted. Yours truly is a writer. Got a couple of articles up there uh, talking about a few different things, talking about why the Reds need to add a starting pitcher. I know Steve will agree with every word of that article and uh, so much more. InsideTheReds.com. We're going to be there. I'm going to be, we're going to be talking about the Reds here on Lockdown Reds every day. I'm going to be writing about the Reds every single day. I'm just going to be Reds, 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 even though I'm wearing a Bengals t-shirt right now. So. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so Steve, Andrew Abbott was an awesome surprise to this starting rotation last year. The performance that he put up has us thinking ace, but of course the big question is how his season ended. Because we talked a lot about this. There was a lot of uh, reporters that constantly asked him questions throughout August and September about fatigue. But was Andrew Abbott's late season struggles fatigue or the league adjusting to him? I'm going with fatigue. And and that is not just me trying to be optimistic. It's not me trying to control the narrative. Here's why I think it was fatigue. Yeah, I'm not sugarcoating it. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be Mr. Nice Guy. I, 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 
look at his last four starts. And that's really where we saw it uh, in his final four starts of the season. He went four innings, 3.2 innings, 4.1 innings, 2.1 innings uh, in those four starts. Here's why I don't think it was uh, the league adjusting in those starts. He faced the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Mets who had already torn it down. This is not the, right. this is not the opening day, $450 million New York Mets. This was the, Oh my God, we really screwed up, uh, tear it down, start over New York Mets. Uh, the next start was the Pittsburgh pirates. Uh, sorry, Ethan, they were terrible at this point. And then he wrapped up with his final start against the guardians uh, up in Cleveland. Uh, of all of those teams, Cleveland was probably the best team still standing as far as you know how they were playing. Uh, and even they weren't great at the time. So for me, it was a run of, of bad teams that produced a lot of bad starts. And, and, and his numbers were just all aberrations. In, in the St. Louis start, he gave up six runs, followed by two, and then two again, and then three earned runs. So it wasn't so much about getting shelled. I mean, the Cardinals got to him. But everybody else really, it, it just was more, you could look at him, you could see that he was struggling, you could see that he didn't have it, he was all over the place, uh, and, and they hooked him early. So, you know, you if it was the league adjusting, you would, I think, would have expected to see him go a little bit longer, allowed more runs, uh, but David Bell wasn't having it. So I think the Reds knew he was tired, I think he knew he was tired, and, and the way that everybody conducted that situation through September... Everybody acted like he was tired while Nick Craw and David Bell were looking at camera going, oh, he's fine. His arm's great. He has no innings limitation at all. We're going to just keep running him out there. Yeah, for just a couple innings. Yeah, because we can't have two bullpen days this week, even though that's exactly what it was. No, I don't want to hear those words this year, but uh, yeah, talk about sugarcoating it. They were definitely sugarcoating it. I, I, I do think that it's probably mostly fatigue. I do wonder a little bit about the adjustment factor, though. Let's let's look at some of these numbers because over the course of the season, the batted balls that he allowed, the average exit velocity on those balls were 91.2 or the average exit velocity of Ellie. So every time... He allowed a batted ball on average. It was like Ellie was hitting it every time. He also had a very interesting delineation of his pitches that were in the strike zone as opposed to outside the strike zone because less than 50% of the pitches that he threw all year long were in the strike zone. And he didn't have a great chase rate to boot. His chase rate on those pitches outside the zone were only was only 27%. So a lot of the time he was running his own pitch count up. And I think as, as opposing hitters understood that they laid off of that and they forced him to throw more pitches early on, which is really what chased him from those games. And yes, he did have a four pitch mix, but the curveball didn't fool anybody. He had a batting average against on that curveball of 349 and a slugging percentage against his curveball of 650. So every time he threw that pitch more you know 350 whatever that is that's more than a third of the time it was getting hit and it was getting hit hard that might be where that average exit velocity kind of came in for me so it's it's things like that and, and then you couple that together with the fact that it was hard hit balls that he was giving up and his ground ball rate was only 29 percent 
That means that almost 70, well, more than 70% of the balls he allowed were in the air in some fashion, whether it be a line drive, a fly ball, something like that. That has to get fixed for next season. I, I just, I wonder a little bit because it's things like this that let me know that there was a performance bit to it. And is that fatigue? Is that, you know, execution kind of waning a little bit? Possibly. But also, that is definitely opposing hitters understanding that the book on him was his command wasn't always necessarily on point. So you can kind of force him to run his own pitch count up. You know, and I think I want to clarify a little bit that I don't think the league didn't adjust at all. And I think you're making great points about what's going on. Just I'm more focused in on, you know, he didn't finish well at all compared Mm -hmm. to how he started. And I don't think... I guess what I'm trying to say, Jeff, is I don't want people to panic and think that the Andrew Abbott that finished 2023 is the Andrew Abbott that's going to start 2024. Uh, right. You know, we're, we're, we're wrapping this around the conversation. Is he the Reds ace? And when you look at the, the totality of his numbers and you look at the rest of the rotation in 2023, I think it's very easy to say, absolutely, he was the Reds ace of 2023. Now, are we asking the question, is he going to be the Reds ace of 2024? Is he in contention to be the opening day starter for 2024? Mm-hmm. Because as you know, that mm-hmm. typically is used as an honor to honor the guy and how he performed the year before. It's not the best guy coming out of the bullpen or the best guy coming out of spring training. And it's, right, it's right. either it's either to reward the guy that did the best last year or it's to to acknowledge this is our Kershaw. This is our Scherzer. This is our, you know, Verlander. That guy's going to be the opening day starter because that's his name. You know, you know what I mean? So for me heading into 2024, I don't think anybody in this Reds rotation has earned the right of opening day starter, starter number one based on their name. So if you're doing it to honor their performance in 2023, he's starter number one. He's the opening day guy. He outperformed Hunter Green. Lodolo was gone almost the entire year. Graham Ashcraft was streaky. Uh, Abbott was Mr. Consistent most of the time. So for me, he is the ace. He is the opening day starter. He is number one. And then someone needs to go take that away from him when they reshuffle the rotation at the all-star break. I agree with you. And I also think that it's interesting because the underlying numbers that I gave weren't necessarily all that great. Consider that with the fact that his performance was still pretty good. So to say that if you can improve those underlying numbers, those peripheral analytical numbers that I just gave, you might be talking about a dude that is like knocking on the door of the Cy Young race because having a three and a half ERA with, you know, an average exit velocity of 91.2, what that means is that he still has an ability to come down. He still has an ability to improve that ERA. Could it be sub three? next year he definitely has more room to grow and it's not going to be because he adds velocity to his fastball it's going to be because he tightens up the spin on his curve he adds deception to his sweeper he he is able to really utilize his changeup, which was a nasty pitch last year a little bit more maybe works it into the rotation a little bit more than the other uh, the other two pitches that he throws other than his fastball I, i i definitely think that while I just presented a case that, you know, there might be some concern, I think that also proves 
he has so much more to gain and so much more to improve upon that we could be talking about not just a bona fide ace, but a bona fide pitcher within the major leagues. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to to piggyback on something you said before we get out of this segment, um, because you've hit on it a couple times, and I I, I just want to acknowledge how right you are about it. Write this down. This is one of those for your calendar. Like you get two a year. This is this is your <laughs> second one, I think, of the year. Um, this whole ground ball percentage Maybe thing. November. Yeah, I did. This whole ground ball percentage thing that you've been talking about now for you know a bit. You're absolutely right. For this Reds rotation, not just Andrew Abbott, but for this Reds rotation to be successful in 2024, they have got to start getting the ball on the ground. They have got to induce the ground balls. That's where they're going to be their best. And especially with 81 games at Great American Ballpark through the summer months in Cincinnati, get the ball on the ground. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, I think that's something we should definitely pay attention to, not only with Abbott, but with everybody that the Reds are running out there to pitch into 2024. Absolutely. It has, and then it doesn't have to be greater than 50%. If it is greater than 50%, that will put them as one of the best ground ball teams in the league. But right now it's below 40%. Just bring it up a little bit, like 45%, 46%. And I think you're going to see the entire pitching staff improve. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Here's what I know. Andrew Abbott was the best pitcher in 2023. He has an opportunity to be the best pitcher in 2024. Absolutely. Coming up next, uh, the Reds made some moves to protect some dudes from the Rule 5 draft. Just how close are any of them to the major leagues? That's what we'll give you coming up next. Before we talk about that, I know what I did, Jeff. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can follow us in between episodes. Follow us on X. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. You can follow Jeff. That's at Jeff Carr with three Fs. A little inside baseball, folks, because you're everydayers and it's the offseason. He threw to me three times to to do the break there. And I mixed it up and thought it was his break and kept throwing it right back to him. So a l- little bit of fun there. That's that's what happened. Uh, let's talk about the Rule 5 draft. Uh, if you want to hear more of our uh, conversation and more of our you know back and forth that Jeff and I like to do, get over on the Discord server. The link is down in the episode description. Join us on the Discord community. Lots of great conversation over there, baseball-related and some not baseball-related. Uh, we'd love to see you over there to talk some sports. All right, Jeff, the Reds added three players to the 40-man roster, which brought it up to 40, which is also a little interesting uh, because of the impact that has moving forward. But they added three guys because the Rule 5 draft is coming, and these three players would have been exposed in the Rule 5 draft, so they needed to be added to be protected. Uh, So we'll just throw the names out there. The Reds added in the Rule 5 draft pitcher Christian Roa, Outfielder Jacob Herdebees and outfielder Reese Hines. Yes, and of the three, the highest ranking prospect was Reese Hines. Depending on where you look, um, there's some. I know MLB Pipeline has him as the number ten prospect. I think Baseball America had him. I think it was like twelve or thirteen. Uh, it, but basically, we're talking about a top fifteen, top ten prospect within the organization for Reese Hines. Jacob Herdebees, Christian Roa, not necessarily on anyone's list, but neither was TJ Friedel. So I don't, I don't go too crazy over like whether or not they're on a list. Let's look at this because I find it interesting, even though Reese Hines is the, is the actual ranked prospect in this 
uh, this uh, trio, triumvirate, if you will. Um, I also think he's not the closest to the major leagues. I, I think it's actually Jacob Herdebees. Yeah, I, you know, looking at Jacob Herdebees, I that's a guy that I'm a little bit excited about to see what happens in 2024. If, if you look at his numbers, uh, in 2022, he spent an entire season uh, in Chattanooga. However, um, he only played in 63 games. He had a partial season. I believe he was injured for part of the year, if I'm remembering correctly. I've I've slept since 2022. Uh, but his numbers were... His numbers were, eh, you know, he had a slash line of 250, 385, 308. Okay. But then 2023 rolls rolls around and he flipped a switch between Chattanooga and Louisville. We'll just take his combined numbers for a full season, 119 games. He slashed 330, 479, 483 between those two stops. Now, those are great numbers. That's something to be excited about. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what he does in 2024. The problem with Herdebees is he is a left-handed hitter, and it's going to be hard for him to crack the Cincinnati lineup as a left-handed hitter unless there's an injury, unless somebody is traded away, somebody is gone. They're already having a platoon split problem in the outfield at the big league level, so I can't see them adding another left-handed bat to the outfield group unless some kind of move is made. Yeah, and especially his profile as a player. Like, I mean, maybe he projects as like a bench glove and bench runner type dude. I'll say this. Our friend Tom Nichols up at the Dayton Dragons has told us before that he's one of the smartest players he's ever seen, Jacob Herdebees. And he he covers tremendous uh, range in center field with his speed, and he has a good glove. So he's a guy that could be an interesting uh, depth piece, especially, you know, I mean, honestly, he kind of profiles for me a little bit like Stuart Fairchild. And we did this with Blake Dunn of, would you rather have Blake Dunn or Stuart Fairchild? Jacob Herdebees might be a little bit closer, but I still kind of lean Jacob Herdebees just because of the unknown. But again, he is the guy of these three players that I see closest to the major leagues. Reese Hines, is a guy we've talked about a lot over the last few years a because lot. of his power. Dude can hit the ball a country mile. He's the next prospect coming up through the organization that could hit the tundra, like all that good stuff. The problem is with all his power, he has a lot of strikeouts too. His plate discipline, not great through the minor leagues. He will definitely need to prove that he can uh you know make strides at the plate he's gonna play i think most if not all of the year in louisville he's also got to prove he can stay healthy because he's had some health issues as well um but he does have a decent glove there in the corner outfield for the reds that's i think his his power and his defense is why he profiles as a top 10 player but he struggles with the strikeout Yeah, if you recall, when he was drafted, the scouts were using phrases like the best raw power I've ever seen. Those were the things they were saying about Reese Hines. But you are definitely, listen, Jeff, you are not lying when you talk about has a bit of a problem with the strikeouts. In 109 games, he struck out 151 times down in Chattanooga. To, To compare with 
34 walks. So <laughs> my man is a free swinger, and that is definitely something that's going to have to get corrected before he even sniffs a trip to Cincinnati. Um, I think you're absolutely right. This is a guy that, barring some kind of injury fiasco, uh, isn't going to come anywhere close to a call-up next year. Uh, full season in Louisville to see if he can get that 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 strikeout rate under control because uh, there's absolutely no way that plays at the big league level. Just not at all. But, man, if he could figure that part of his game out, oh, him and Ellie, yeah. oh, man, they may end that Tundra promotion. They'll give away four or five trucks by the time that's all said and done. We talk about the Reds needing a power outfield bat. If Reese Hines could figure out the strikeouts thing, they've got a power outfield bat in Reese Hines and I find it interesting Steve because these three guys are all at least 24 24 years old and that's not a huge deal but when you talk about a prospect and somebody who has not made their major league debut just yet when they turn 24 you really start to like count down like okay when's this guy getting here and we kind of said that like they're ish close but not necessarily like knocking down the door Christian Roa is 25 christian roa is a guy that he's he's had a very interesting minor league career for the reds uh injuries have definitely been an issue uh he's not really pitched all that well uh, and last season the numbers weren't no, call great that, call that what it is he hasn't pitched well for a couple years i'm i'm a little perplexed by this because if you take his 2023 he had a 5.16 ERA in 28 games, 120 innings. Uh, break that down further in in 2022, you know, 74 innings, a 4.14 ERA in in High A. Dayton, okay. Uh, he pitched a little bit in Chattanooga, also just a, a, a three games. He looked good there, but that was just three games. And then you look at 2023, combining his two levels it's it's none of this grabs me I, I wonder was this a we believe in you move putting him on the 40 man versus because i just i don't see that anybody was gonna take this kid and put him on their active roster all year i don't the, think the rule five draft was a concern right and and remember too that's the big thing with the rule five draft if someone takes a player in the rule five draft they have to be on the active major league roster all season long so to say that the Reds were not willing to gamble with Christian Roa being picked seems kind of strange to me. Now, the one thing that I can think is that they're betting on the strikeout rate. The strikeout rate is phenomenal. It's the only stat of his that is phenomenal, but the strikeout rate is phenomenal. Maybe they see him as a relief pitcher that is, you know, strikeout or bust, but this bullpen has had its struggles with walks. And I don't necessarily know that we just need to keep feeding that struggle. I think we need to fix it at some point. But Christian Roa, I mean, the, the strikeout rate's there, and I think that's probably why they kept him. But again, he is a guy that if he gets called up to the major leagues, I think it's because there's been a lot of injuries, and he would be in the almost Ricky Karcher group of hopefully we've got a good defensive catcher behind the plate. And 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 Kurt Casale is not walking through that door to, to make that be a save. He is gone. So. And but I, I know this. That is where we wrap it up, Jeff. Yeah, that that's where we're going to wrap this up. Thanks so much for checking out today's Lockdown Reds podcast. Uh, everydayers, thank you so much for being an everyday. If you're not, make sure you 
you subscribe, you click that bell and get notified on YouTube because we're going to be with you every day throughout the off season. And speaking of which everydayers coming up on the next lockdown reds podcast, uh, who are the reds likely to non tender before the Friday deadline? We're going to tell you on an Aloha live Friday edition of the podcast at 2 PM Eastern time on Friday, Steve, what can people expect from us all season? Well, we're going to continue to monitor these rumors. We're going to follow the transactions. We're going to follow the national talking heads and what they're hearing. And we're going to gather up all the information of the offseason. And we're going to bring it back right here to keep you locked on Reds every single day. I think we can do a whole show where we just throw it back and forth to each other. Like, the, I can't believe I did that again. Probably. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.